Well, we've arrived at one of the most famous passages of the New Testament. That is John chapter 3, where Jesus meets Nicodemus and the interchange that takes place about being born again. Let's have a look at the words here. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And you should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How could this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. As I say, this is one of the most famous of all the passages in the Bible. And I suppose the idea of being born again is what the central theme of this is. We're going to examine that now and see what that really means. The man called Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Mark, just a Pharisee, he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was, in fact, of that group of people who was implacably opposed to Jesus, because, after all, Jesus, if anyone, threatened their entire existence, and certainly he threatened their authority. But he, out of maybe all of those people amongst the Sanhedrin, amongst the ruling council, he believes and he comes to Jesus at night. Now, that's a significant thing, coming to Jesus at night, even by itself. It tells you something, that he wants a secret meeting with Jesus. He doesn't want to come out publicly or openly. In other words, he doesn't want the other members of his Jewish ruling council to know that he's meeting Jesus. This means that he's not been sent to him as uh, by a delegation, as John, in fact, was approached. Rather, he's come of his own accord. And more than that, he fears censure and being reproved by the other members of his council if he was to uh, inform them that that's exactly what he's doing. So he doesn't. He comes secretly. He comes at night. Shows a certain kind of timidity, a certain kind of um, fear, and yet 
there's clearly an important inward drive and compulsion to come and talk to Jesus directly. He speaks to Jesus as in his terms, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Now, I don't want to dwell too much on the, the idea of we. That we could be him personally, kind of a royal we. We meaning me and, and, and um, myself, rather than we and the, uh, and the Sanhedrin. It could be the Sanhedrin, though. It could be that they've discussed Jesus. Almost certainly they would have done so. Who is this guy who's going out teaching, you know? And many may have said, well, he must be from God because otherwise how could he do these signs? And there must have been a kind of a consensus, but one which maybe through fear, through change, through the overthrow of their own authority, no one could admit to. So it could be the we of the Sanhedrin, or it could simply be the we of Nicodemus. Either case, there is a grudging acknowledgement that Jesus is a force to be reckoned with and an authentic voice from God. And you can see that by the way in which he addresses Jesus. He calls him Rabbi, which is a great honour, because Nicodemus was rabbi. He was the teacher of Israel. He was one of the recognised teachers, like a, a professor in a university, if you like, that kind of standing. Whereas this guy has just come along, and yet um, Nicodemus gives him the honour of calling him rabbi. You're a teacher. You know what you're talking about. We trust your words. That's the implication here. And we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. Well, how does he know that? How does he accept that? How does he say? Well, because no one could perform the miraculous signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Now, again, these miraculous signs, we're not told about them. They haven't been mentioned here yet. You may find suggestions of them in the other Gospels, and you can piece that together. But and as far as John's Gospel is concerned, all we're told about is that miraculous signs are being done and... Uh, even the, the throwing out of the temple is all that we've we've seen, the cleansing of the temple. But nevertheless, Nicodemus is impressed by the character of Jesus Christ and accepts who he is, accepts that he comes from God. At the very least, he accepts that he's a prophet of God. That acceptance impresses, I think, Jesus, because in reply, Jesus declares... I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I want to impress upon you, I think, the most obvious thing, but which, is, which I've been mentioning in, in the last lecture. And that is that Jesus' thoughts are entirely on a, a different level than our thoughts. He thinks in metaphors. He thinks in terms of connections which we don't normally make. And because of that, his thinking is, is on a different plane to ordinary common thoughts and ordinary common meanings. And it's very important for us to understand that the spiritual meaning of what Jesus says is something which comes from his much deeper understanding of the human world, the human condition, and his viewpoint as a perspective, as a, as a heavenward perspective. He comes from God, from, comes from out of heaven. 
And this this whole um, approach changes the way in which he speaks and speaks nearly always in terms of metaphor, in terms of pictures, in terms of connections which are often not made. So he says, um, let me get the words right again. I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Very powerful words and words which have been used and taken up by the church for thousands of years now as the key point, you must be born again. But what does Jesus really, really mean by this within the context of what he's saying here? And you know what, I have a fundamental principle in terms of interpretation. I think that the most important way of interpreting a passage is you must follow it, the argument. Follow the, the process that, of the argument of the statements which are being made and make sense of them together so that they link together. So why does Jesus suddenly come out with this statement, you must be born again? And what does it mean? Well, let's try and see the connection. To be born is to come into the world, to experience life for the first time, to have your eyes opened, to be a living being. He's likening that that's the metaphor of being spiritually awake, to see the things and to experience the life of God and to be aware of godly things, spiritual things. You need to have a spiritual birth to be born again in the same way that you have a physical birth to be able to see physical things and partake of physical life. You need a spiritual birth to be able to have a, a spiritual life. Why does he say it at this point? I think it's a compliment to Nicodemus. I think he's saying to Nicodemus, you have seen something important, radically different from what maybe the rest of your Sanhedrin has seen. And that's because you are spiritually alive. You're spiritually born into the world you have your eyes opened and you can partake of a spiritual life and existence that's vital and important to you because you have awakened into this world you can see the things that many other people cannot see and unless a person is born again in this radical and it's radical to be born. Let's, let's say there's no more radical event that can take place in your life other than maybe death. But to be born is the most radical change that you experience to the awakening. That same kind of radical change is needed within a person to make them alive to spiritual things. That kind of awakening, that coming into being. And you have that, Nicodemus because you have accepted what I've said as being true. I think that is the importance of it. The difficulty here is that Nicodemus is still partially groping for the truth and doesn't see the metaphor, doesn't understand the words that Jesus is saying, doesn't understand the concept of 
the, the different way of thinking, this metaphorical way of thinking. And so he's still grounded in human lower level thinking here. So what does Nicodemus reply? He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Well, no, of course he can't. You've totally misunderstood the whole point of what I'm being said here. You've misunderstood it because your mind is on this lower level. It's on the lower level of when I use the word born again, the only concept in your mind is physical birth. But there is, that's a picture. It's a picture of being made alive in a spiritual way so that you can see the kingdom of God. Seeing the kingdom of God means that you are alive to spiritual things, that you're alive to the words of Jesus Christ as being important and incitive and wisdom and from God, to understand those things. That's the kingdom of God. Just as the kingdom of the world is something which is wrapped up with worldly things, money and goods and possessions and things, the kingdom of God is wrapped up with spiritual insight um, of, a, of a drive to, to know God and to know the more important things about what makes life important, the spiritual things of life. But Nicodemus doesn't understand the terminology. He's not realising that Jesus is speaking by metaphor here. And so Jesus has to explain that to him because quite clearly he's not grasped the idea. Jesus tells, answers, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people get hung up about what this water is and as opposed to the spirit, what's that got to do with it? And some people talk about the water of childbirth, breaking the waters, that kind of thing. I don't think it's got anything to do with that. Um, the implication here is that you've got to be born physically and born spiritually in order to um, uh, become a, a alive in a spiritual sense. It could be that. It could be that. I personally think that with this whole background of the Baptist, um, John the Baptist going out baptising for repentance, change of heart and mind implied in that, Jesus himself going out and baptising, as we will see in the next section or so, that also is uh, part of the, the whole idea of being born of water. Born of water means changing your mind completely, accepting your failures and mistakes, accepting the fact that you need to change your life completely. That's a kind of, you need an open mind for that. You need a willingness to be able to see that the direction which I'm going is wrong and I need to turn it around and change my direction in life. And that requires an acceptance of your um, inadequacy which is what the water of baptism is about, the cleansing of the past and the renewing of the future. And being born of the Spirit means that you come to that mental realisation somehow or other, it comes to you. Not it doesn't come to everybody, it comes to some people. And Jesus explains that difference here very clearly. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth 
to spirit, and therefore you should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. In other words, Nicodemus, you're thinking on birth as a flesh gives birth to flesh thing. That's all you're thinking of. But the spirit also gives birth to spirit, just as a father and a mother can bring someone to a physical life, well, so can the words of the Spirit of Jesus Christ bring someone to a spiritual life, to take on that additional dimension which takes them beyond mere physical living into a meaningful, a purposeful life. And don't confuse the two, is what he's saying. Distinguish these two. Yes, birth applies to physical life, but it also applies to spiritual life. And whereas we understand very fully how someone comes to be born physically, flesh gives birth to flesh, no one understands how this person comes alive or that person does not come alive spiritually. He goes on to make it clear. He says, the wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going to. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, it's seemingly, seemingly random whether someone becomes spiritually alive and aware of who Jesus is and values what he says and takes it to heart and makes it the core centre of his life and his being, or whether someone dismisses him as a crank and a fool and an idiot. What causes the difference between those two? Jesus says one is spiritually alive and the other is spiritually dead. The spirit blows where it wills, the wind blows where it wills. In other words, we don't know whether what causes the wind to come this way, what causes the wind to come that way. It's a mystery to us. It's impossible to predict which way it's going to go next. And so it is with people who are born of the Spirit. You can't identify somebody by just looks or appearance or um, the way they dress or anything of that nature as to whether they're going to be spiritually alive or not. It strikes like the wind in a mysterious kind of way. Some people are alive to the immense possibilities of a transcendent world of life with heaven and the kingdom of God and important spiritual truths and other people are completely insensitive to that kind of thing and there is no explanation to be given as to why one that one in particular is spiritually alive spiritually born and this one is not spiritually born it is mysterious says jesus but don't confuse the two I've spoken to you of spiritual things. Do not confuse them with earthly things. And you, I paid you the compliment of saying that as far as I can see, you're spiritually alive. Now, let's contrast that because here we have a very strange response from Nicodemus because instead of simply accepting that, it's almost as if he rejects what Jesus says. They use the words here, how can this be? 
in Nicodemus. Now that could be interpreted in a way like, you know, um, I don't understand. You know, can you explain a bit further? But I don't think it means it like that. Basically, I think that's a challenge. It's saying, that's nonsense, Jesus. That doesn't make any sense to me. I can't go along with that. I think that's the import of what he means. How can this be? How can that be? There's a tone of voice required here. Your tone of voice could be, how could this be? Tell me more. Or it could be, how could that be? Yeah, dismissing it. And it's the latter which is clearly the case here, because if you follow the argument through, it has to be that latter case that Nicodemus was almost rejecting of what Jesus was saying here. Now, people don't tell us that, and I don't think Nicodemus is always given a good press, but I think that at this point, he didn't get that bit right. And you can see that because the strong response that Jesus gives is this. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? It's not just about not understanding. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. In other words, he's saying, I'm not making this up. I'm not inventing it. These are not lies. I tell you the truth because I'm telling you what I know for a fact, in other words. And we testify to what we have seen. In other words, I'm a solid witness to this. You have to believe me. If you don't, well, that's up to you. But still, this, get this, you people do not accept our testimony. In other words, Jesus is saying quite clearly, from what you said, my understanding is when you said, how can that be? You're rejecting what I have said. You're not accepting it. You don't understand it. You haven't gone along with it. You're saying you don't accept my testimony. Um, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? In other words, just being born again is a lower level truth. Being born again is, comes glibly off our tongues as if it's something which we all understand because we're so familiar with it. But really it just means a radical opening of your eyes. That's really what it all means. A radical change in your appreciation of the world around you, to see the spiritual dimension, and to realise that that is the most important dimension in life, the spiritual aspect, to be spiritually alive. And that you must contrast that with what I said earlier on. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. You do not believe, says Jesus. So, he might be writing off the entire Sanhedrin in this particular point, but he's speaking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus, who has been fairly open until he got to that point, how can that be? And uh, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. He's giving his credentials here. He's saying exactly what John has said earlier on, right from the very first verses, when he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning so that's just an echo of this and jesus himself is making that clear statement no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven the son of man himself just as moses lifted up the snake in the desert so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have 
eternal life in him. This bit about the snake in the desert, I think that this is um, um, a story which you'll find, I think it's in Deuteronomy, but I might be wrong, it might be in the Exodus, where I think um, people were bitten by snakes and they were dying and there was some cure required. And the cure was that Moses um, had a, a bronze snake, I think it was, um, set up. And if people came and looked, just simply looked at the bronze snake, came and accepted that, that then they would be cured of the, um, uh, the illness, the danger. So we have that particular problem here, this illusion to what is going on. And that illusion is really central here to the point of faith, I guess, the, the entire idea that one um, one's approach is governed by what you believe in. If you, um, I think the the key point about the, the 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 snake in the wilderness is that it doesn't look on the surface of it as if it could do anything. It doesn't look as though that's going to produce any kind of cure. If you've been bitten by a snake, just go and look at this thing. No, there's no causal connection here. There's no way, there's no, it's not like a medicine which you've been given. And yet, if you believe what Moses said, if you trust in what Moses said, it will change your actions. Your actions will change and move and become something different. You go and do something, even though it seems silly to you. So there is a, a very strong connection here between belief and action and i think those two have been um, disconnected in some parts of the church by some reason or other and i think that's a great mistake here the whole message of that seems to me that these two are indissolubly linked if you believe something then you will act upon it if you don't act upon it you don't really believe it i think that's fundamentally the connection which unites both paul and james later on in in uh, James's uh, epistle and Paul, both talking about faith. So we have to view faith as that which conditions how we live. And you know whether you've got faith or not by how you live. If you don't live accordingly, then you haven't got faith. It's as simple as that. So this idea of the snake lifted up in the wilderness, Jesus says, I will also be lifted up powerful picture here because again the metaphoric idea of connecting things which we wouldn't normally connect is part of what Jesus is thinking is all about connecting disparate ideas and yet seeing the link between them just as this snake was lifted up in the desert I will be lifted up and again once again another time third or fourth time here right at the start of the ministry what you're finding is a look towards the end, the viewpoint at the end. This is the crucifixion which is being uh, spoken of, lifted up, yeah? The idea of being publicly paraded, people looking to that image as a, as a, a way in which um, you place your faith in that person, the death of Christ. That's part of what this whole picture is about and what this whole ministry is about. That's what I'm leading up to 
Nicodemus. That's what faith is all about here. It'll be faith in me. And if you believe in me in such a way that you are spiritually awakened, such that your life is changed, such that you would be prepared to undergo baptism as a symbol of a change of mind, change of heart, change of life, then that, that is the way that you will be saved. Mm -hmm.